Welcome to the History Slam podcast from ActiveHistory.ca. Here's your host, Sean Graham. Thank you, Adam. Welcome to the History Slam, everybody. I am Sean Graham coming at you today, nearly live from Ottawa, Ontario. Really wonderful episode for you today, talking about a film that you can watch tonight as part of its world premiere. That's right. June 3rd is the world premiere for Shelter, a film by Ron Chapman. This is a really outstanding film. It profiles Jewish builders in Toronto in the post-Second World War era, and it tells their story with a lot of contextual information that provides so much meaning to their work in real estate in that post-Second World War era. Some of these individuals came to Canada in the 20s and 30s, escaping anti-Semitism. In other cases, they were Holocaust survivors who came over after the war. And the film does a really good job, I think, of going into that anti-Semitism that existed in Europe at the time and certainly gets into a lot of details about these particular individuals' stories during the Holocaust and uses that to provide the context to their careers in real estate. It really is a fascinating tale and I think a great example of meaningful storytelling in this film, while at the same time doesn't shy away from the anti-Semitism that existed in Toronto that these individuals were coming into. And that further shapes how they got into real estate and how they conducted themselves within their real estate dealings. Just a, a very fascinating story, all told through firsthand accounts, talking head style of documentary. So I definitely would encourage everybody to check it out. If you want to, you can be part of that world premiere if you are in Ontario, because it is the opening film of the Toronto Jewish Film Festival, which kicks off tonight, June 3rd. 2021. So if you check the links in the show notes or head on over to activehistory.ca, we have all the information there as to where you can watch this film tonight and be part of that opening. So I had the opportunity to watch the film and talk to Ron Chapman all about how he went about putting together this project. So let's get right to that discussion. Okay, and Ron Chapman joins us now. Ron, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me about Shelter. I had the opportunity to watch this film last night, and as I said in the intro, goes through a lot of different eras of Jewish history in Toronto. And I'm curious to know from you, and I said this just before we started to record that about halfway through to to an hour through, I was I was kind of confused and, and wondering how it would all come together because there's different parts of this film and different real segments to it. And I'm curious, how do you conceive of this story? Like what type of story is it? Because there's so many component parts to it. So is there a way to distill it down into a way to say this is a blank story? Uh, it's a great question. And uh I don't think so. I think I think there's you know I think you're saying is there a key core message or that 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 comes out of this and I I, I think there's a bunch of them you know uh, I think that's one of the things that I think makes the film interesting and a little different. It's not uh, one dimensional. It, it it touches on a lot of different a uh, lot of different things. So 
in a way, I'm not answering your question, but I think I am <laughs> answering your question. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that, that there's 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 a through line to it, but yes. it's, it sort of goes in different directions. Uh, no question about it. And what is your connection to the story? Uh, you know, I was certainly struck by the decision that was made to not have a narrator in this film. It's yeah. all talking heads yeah. from the people who you interviewed over the course of the project. So what is your personal connection to it and how did you come to this particular story? Well, my executive producer, Mark Kenny, uh, came to me with this story and thought that uh, there should be a film made about these builders. He is an Irish Protestant, came to Canada, and he ended up mentoring. He was in the building industry. He mentored with a lot of the, uh, the families uh, that are mentioned in there or did business with them. Uh, and thought that, uh, you know, their particular history was fascinating, unique in terms of what their contribution was to the building of Toronto and the growth of Toronto. And I think that was his end point. And, and I, I, I said, geez, uh, you know, there's definitely something here, though, though, you know, a film about a lot of success, a bunch of successful builders, is that, is that a great film? Uh, and so when I started doing research and started peeling back the layers, I, I, I started discovering each of their individual histories as I went through my pre-interviews. And, 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 and it was just, I mean, it was amazing when I discovered who they were, where they came from, what they went through, how they arrived here, what that was like, their early days here, how they built their businesses and how they became these hugely successful builders. I think a lot of people, you know, look at them as I did initially and said, wow, they're just a bunch of successful builders with no context. Once you actually, as you did in the first, you know, half hour, see what they what they survived, what they came from, what their, their resilience, um, and then what they built from next to nothing after they arrived here and what they contributed uh, to our city uh, and our country for that matter, I think, that to me is the journey. That's the journey I wanted to take as a filmmaker. I wanted to, and and I did. I you know I went back to Europe and I started, uh, you know, in the in the small towns in Europe and 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 recreated and retraced their steps across the ocean back to Toronto, uh, and and continued their story here. So I want to talk about that early part of, of the film a little bit that you just talked about, because it does go back to Europe. It, it does look at the origin stories of a lot of these individuals in the context of larger anti-Semitism pre-Second World War. And then, of course, gets into the Holocaust as a filmmaker and, and as the director of this. How do you find that balance of telling the individual stories of these individuals, putting that context into the film compared to the building of Toronto and the, their work as builders later on, it, because obviously that context is important, but mm -hmm. I could also see somebody coming to you and saying, well, the audience, you hope, knows about the Holocaust. They, they know the difficulties. And could you start this film potentially in the post-Second World War era? with Jewish migration into the city. So, mm -hmm. you know, just for you, what is that balance like artistically to come to that conclusion and figure out exactly what is the right amount of contextual information to include? Well, a couple of things. First of all, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I looked at not only subjects that came 
from the Holocaust. I started with, uh, with, with immigrants who were fleeing Russia and the pogroms in the early 20s and came here. And then I moved on to immigrants who were, who were fleeing the Holocaust before it happened. And then the ones that got stuck in the Holocaust and somehow managed to survive and, and then arrive here. Um, so that was sort of the time period from the twenties to about 1950. Um, I, I really saw them as a, as a group, you know, as a group of individuals, because when they arrived here, they became a community. They all knew each other. They worked together. They went on various projects together. They competed against each other. They went to, you know, stubbies and had lunch together. They, they built community once they got here. And what I, one of the things I was sort of fascinated by when I was telling their early stories is, you know, the, even though each one was uniquely different, each one thematically had a lot of the same issues of things that they had to contend with and overcome. And I thought in the telling of all those stories, it sort of didn't matter whether you were focusing on this, on Mendel's story or on Sam Brown's story or on uh, Hofstadter or Rubenstein's story that they all became sort of a story that talked about uh, a community of immigrants and, and people that, that survived and overcame similar obstacles. And, and to me, it was the collective story that I attempted to tell in the beginnings. And I thought that that is essential. I think to start just once they arrived here gave you no context. I mean, for, I thought it gave you no context for what they actually then did without understanding that, you know, Sam Brown was one of six people after eight weeks that was left alive in one of the camps without without understanding what they went through, without understanding they arrived here with 10 bucks in their pocket. And because of the kind of city Toronto was at the time, they couldn't become an accountant or a lawyer or, or, or uh, an engineer. There were so many trades that were not open to immigrant Jewish people at the time um, that, uh, you know, they were forced almost into that building industry because they had to figure out once again in a new country how to survive. The difference being they were no longer um, trying to escape being being murdered or annihilated or having genocide perpetrated on them. They were just trying to figure out how to get by in a country that had some some restrictions that, that you know, in a city that was at the time discriminatory and very prejudicial against Jewish immigrants, Catholics and some others. So in telling that story, those contextual stories, when you went into this project, how much did you know, if anything, about some of these stories? Because some of them are incredible. You mentioned the the one individual, one of six people left. There's a story of escaping a train in yeah. the middle of the night, uh, a Nazi train, yeah. uh, a, a mother who sent her two daughters into the forest towards a, a light at a convent. Like, like, How much of those stories did you know and how much was uncovered as you were doing interviews and doing additional research into these individuals' backgrounds? All of them. I had no idea about any of them when I started. And that was all my initial research when, when I was trying to, you know, find out what were their stories and how was I going to put this film together and what were the things that, that attracted me that I thought I needed to articulate uh, during the course of the film to properly present them and their story and, and to figure out what was their story. But I mean, those stories are so amazing. You know, uh, uh, you know, Krem's uh, mother who 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 went and was blowing up bridges to try and slow slow you know the the Nazis down at the time. 
you know, the partisans, you know, all of these people, just such amazing stories of, of bravery and desperation uh, and resilience. They're all so inspirational that only in understanding those backstories can you actually really understand what they were able to accomplish once they arrived here. Because once they arrived and they began trying to make these deals and put money together and, and, and make a building and sell it and make another building and sell it and flip stuff and put money on the line, you need to realize the context they had. I mean, you know, the, the, the thought of losing a deal or losing money or going bankrupt, that was not like, you know, going to the gas chambers or being being shot or being murdered. It, 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 it didn't have the same the same kind of um, fear that if you were here, that, that would be your great fear. Well, I'm here. I, I grew up in Canada. I went to school. I got a job. And I certainly don't want to risk all my money. For them, that risk was nothing. That risk was nothing. And so they were able to take great risks without having that fear because they had already, you know, it, that fear was nothing compared to what they had lived through. And I think someone says it in the film, too, that, of course, we were entrepreneurial because, well, one, we didn't have any other opportunities or there were fewer mm -hmm. opportunities for Jewish people in Toronto. But also, yeah, like, what do we have to lose at this point, yeah. basically, that, that you're just talking about? Like, the the risk factor is, is much different when you're looking at it based on what those experiences were. But there was also the reality of anti-Semitism in Toronto, mm -hmm. and it talks about it both pre-war and post-war and it's interesting to think for me when, when i watch this film because certainly you know you're aware of anti-semitism there's that none is too many uh, famously when we're talking about uh, jewish immigrants to mm. toronto or to yeah. canada yeah. during the second world war the, the, the that was the response from a cabinet minister yeah and you you have this sense of there's there's an awareness of what's happening in europe yet people don't really want to respond to it. And then after the, the war, that anti-Semitic sensibility remains in a lot of the, the major cities and certainly in Toronto. But it's it's somewhat jarring to me, or it was somewhat jarring when I watched it, to see the Holocaust and, and all that discussion. And then, oh yeah, there's anti-Semitism in Toronto too. Be, just because it's hard to hear that story and then not have sympathy or, with, for those people or to to want to see them succeed to want to see them be safe and welcomed and for you as you're going through this and maybe even for the people as you're talking to did they have any sort of resentment to this the city that they were coming <laughs> to to this country that they were coming to because they had just survived this horrible thing and yet they're coming to a place that is despite knowing maybe not the specifics in all cases but knowing the general sense yeah. of what happened during the war yet they're still not welcomed? Well, it's a great question. And, you know, the answer when I got it from them was kind of so uplifting and surprising for me. Um, and what, the, what, they, what they said was, I mean, these people loved Toronto. These people loved Canada. They embraced this country. They were true, true Canadians. They adopted this country so quickly because this country accepted them and gave them a chance. Yes, there was anti-Semitism. Yes, there were things blocked that they couldn't do. But like I said earlier, there weren't people trying to kill them. They were still getting a chance, you know, and they just had to make the best of it. So 
the kind of anti-Semitism that they were faced with at the time, though disturbing, and though, of course, they, you know, they're unable to understand why people would feel this way about us, was still so minute compared to what they had just lived through. And there were few of them that lived through it. Most of them didn't live through it. So that that they just said, you know what, we got to make a go of it and we've got to do something. And we've got to make this country uh, ours and this city ours. And, and as a result, they then built families here. They built communities out. They they got involved in the community. They contributed to the community. When you look at at these people and a lot of those immigrants, you know, you can see them reflected in 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 the hospital wings of the city, in the concert halls of the city, in the culture, in the educational, uh, you know, they, 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 they contributed, as did many waves of immigrants that came after them uh, and made Toronto the, you know, what, what it is today, which is one of the most successful multicultural cities in the world. Uh, it, you know, we grew, we grew, Toronto grew and, and Canadians grew. And, and, uh, and I think, that is one of you know one of those things you talked about in terms of key themes. It's how did Toronto end up being that successful multicultural city, and what were the elements that contributed to that? And and it's clear that one of the elements that contributed to that was what these people built, what these immigrants built. They built this affordable apartment rental model, which allowed lots of immigrants to come into the city, 500,000 units between 1950 and, and when rent controls came in in the mid 70s. And wave after wave of immigrants came through and lived in these buildings they built where they got to live with dignity and self-respect uh, and pride because they built good places. They were not slum landlords. They didn't, you know, people weren't living with no hot and cold running water with rats and cockroaches and stuff. They they built places that had public space. They tried to recreate some of what they enjoyed in Europe and brought over and they were all about family. And they gave people a good start. And that good start made them feel, you know, in the same way they felt thankful to Canada, thankful to Toronto for giving them another chance after what they went through, regardless of that uh, prejudice and discrimination. Um, that they looked past that. That was not that was not the worst. That was nothing compared to what they had suffered. And how much do you think what they suffered and what they went through, that, that context that we talk about, also informed the way in which they managed properties? You know, th this is a time where you would have exclusionary policies, individual policies where and you see it in the film where somebody says, yeah, we don't sell to your people. And certainly there are other communities in Toronto, you know, Cabbage Town, mm -hmm. for instance, uh, was a, a relegated, if you will, uh, to, to a certain demographic. Yeah. And how much do you think what these individuals went through made them more egalitarian in the way they manage properties? You, you see it at the end where you know, there, there's a woman from mm -hmm. from somewhere in Asia. I can't remember which country, but basically been in the same apartment since she was seven years old yeah. and her family has been able to, to live there. So, you know, just how much is that? You know, they went through the, these individuals went through, uh, obviously, very traumatic experiences. They come here and they saying, well, no, we're going to open this up to everybody. Yeah. Well, again, it was it was immigrants building for immigrants. So they were they were building places that 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 were going to house people who had the same 
but not exactly the same, but but a similar experience to them coming to a new country and trying to establish themselves. And, you know, earlier in the film, one of them talks about what it was like growing up in the early days when they had next to nothing. And there were other families that, you know, didn't have food, couldn't feed themselves. And they would say, even though we had hardly enough for ourselves, you know, we would go and we'd give them a little something to help them through because that's what you're supposed to do. That's the right thing to do. That's what they came from. And that 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 says a lot about what their, their sort of moral and ethical uh, foundations were about. And I think they applied that to their apartments. I mean, I heard story, it's not in the film, but story after story of, you know, where people were in trouble and they, and, and, and they reached out to them and they, they, they cut them slack and they tried to help them through difficult times. And they, they had relationships that, that, that came out of that, you know, there was, it, it was, uh, you know, I, like I said, they, these were not slum landlords. These were caring people and and they cared about their buildings they had pride in their buildings and they and they cared about the people who that 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 were in them the other thing that comes up that that i was really struck by uh, that that i think helps inform some of this one of the people who you interviewed said basically there there are three necessities there's food yeah. clothing housing and you see that a, a lot of jewish immigrants open delis or, yeah. or grocery shops or become tailors or then you have this whole cohort who become builders. How much do you think to, so, and part of that is the simple opportunity to get into it uh, as an entrepreneur. There, there's opportunities in those fields because there's always going to be demand. But how much of it too do you think is informed by, again, what they went through in that context of, in a lot of cases, having nothing and then going into business in the essentials that people really need to survive? I think a lot. I think a lot, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, you're talking about the, you know, the going into, into building, like a lot of them came over, they were tailors, uh, they were furriers, they, you know, there, there were certain um, positions that Canada was looking to allow post-war immigrants to fill when they, they came here and they'd make what they'd make. And one of the, the ways that they could do something with their money was to invest it in, building a house and flipping it, building a house and flipping it. And they would, in the in the community, you know, they'd have 50, they'd have 100 people who each give them five, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever it was, that they, of their hard-earned money that would then go into a house that would then go and then get flipped and everybody would get paid out and they'd go on to the next project. It was It was a way that they could make more money for their money as opposed to putting it somewhere else and hoping that it would grow and keeping it within the community so that they had that confidence that they were dealing with people who were going to, you know, treat them fairly. Yeah. And one of the the lighter moments in the film too, though, is when they're talking about the payouts, they're like, yeah, I bought this house for $4,000 and I sold it for $6,000. And you're like, well, like, that's like a $2 million house today. Yes. Uh, you know, just thinking about the inflation of housing prices, particularly over the last year, which has been a big story. Now, one of the things that I'm also curious about geographically, obviously this is a story about building in Toronto, but Toronto in 1945 is very, very different from Toronto in 2021, both in size and just scope, like both sort of like up, like the, the building up and mm -hmm. also building out. It's, it's a very different city. So for these individuals, and when we're talking about the building that the folks in the movie are are doing, 
are they are they building in specific parts of the city like just geographically where are we talking about when we're talking about a lot of the development well, uh, certainly a lot of the development, you know, the subway actually inspired a lot of development. And and that's one of the things they looked at because they were doing this affordable apartment model. You're dealing with uh, a clientele that maybe doesn't have the money for cars. So how do they get to and from work? And as the subway expanded and, you know, from uh, from just bus bus uh, uh, transportation, they looked to putting up buildings where they were building a, a new subway stop. And that way people would go, they'd want to be in that building. So they walked downstairs, they walked out and they were in the subway and they could get to work. So that the, the, the subway had a lot to do with the growth of the city and the placement of a lot of, a, a lot of these buildings. And how much of that, that communal aspect of it is informed also in the buildings themselves? You referenced this a little earlier that, you know, the subway, I, I would argue it, it is communal, obviously, like it's public transit, mm -hmm. but the actual physical designs themselves that they're using seem to contribute to that, that it, the tr so the transportation to and from places of work and across the city is somewhat mirrored in the buildings themselves. And is that conscious for these individuals or is there an economic reason to make the living spaces more communal than what people had seen previously? Well, I think if you're talking about more communal by by building bigger spaces that maybe had balconies, that had bigger bedrooms, living spaces, and that also had, uh, you know, green space around the buildings. Mm. Is is that what you're referring to? Yeah. 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 It, it just seems like the, that, they're not building houses or they're not just building places to live. It feels like they're building communities. Well, that's what they were doing. And they were they were bringing back you know, what they, what they left in Europe, uh, in terms right. of that, you know, there, there was always green space around buildings. There was always a square. There was always somewhere for people to congregate. You know, they, they, they thought about family, they cared about family and family was everything. So, so to them creating a space that, that took that understanding of what a family would be looking for and, and, and would want, that means it was going to be more successful and, 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 and so they brought those European values and they put them into the buildings that they built here. And, and it was very successful. And how would you describe the community that they themselves built? That's the other part of it too, that they're building communities for people to live. Yeah. But I also really get the sense in, in watching the film that they built their own community amongst themselves, this group of builders who they all kind of know each other they're all working together, consummating deals together. You know, what what type of community, or how would you describe that community of the builders themselves? Well, I think I think that uh, you know these people all lost their communities. They lost everything. They lost their families. They arrived here and they didn't have those communities. And because they were in the same business and they were all trying to get a start at the same time they ended up working together and sort of helping each other, doing deals together um, and building a community out of that. And, you know, they built their families, the families turned into community. And, and that was their first, I guess, their first consideration was how am I going to start a family, grow a family here? And what community will that family be in? And what can I do to contribute to the growth of that community? 
And, and then after that, it was, what can I do to contribute to the growth uh, of this city and, and that has given us this opportunity? So um, I, think, uh, I think that's the best answer I can give you with that. They, they had a, a want and a need to replace what they had stripped away from them and, and they did it together. And, and even though they were, you know, the, even though they would be in competition for certain properties, they would also come together and work together on other properties. And they, they shared all kinds of information. They helped each other out and they competed, you know, uh, it yeah. was, it was a unique situation, I think. And then how do you think that kind of defines the city in a sense? And the, the end of the film kind of gets into this, that this era, these individuals are really central to the story of Toronto's history as sort of the development of it, multicultural city, livable city, you know, it gets very high rankings in livability mm-hmm. and community. So how does all this fit into the larger story of the city where you have late 19th century, there's not really much to Toronto if you look at the the city's history, into today, the biggest city in the country, one of the biggest cities in North America. Where does this chapter fit? Well, this is why this is an important film, really, because it's really an unknown chapter in Toronto history and yet such a foundation block in Toronto's history. When they started building this affordable apartment rental model, there was a real need for housing because people were coming from Europe and they were looking for a place to go. They were fleeing Europe and and looking to rebuild a life somewhere else after the war. And the only way they could come to Toronto is if they had a place to live. So by building these affordable apartment rental model out, they built, as I said, 500,000 units between 50 and rent controls. A million people came into the city. What made those million people possible? How did they, where did they go? Clearly, they went into 500,000 units that these builders built. That's, that's what really made that possible. And, and so without them deciding that, you know what, I'm not just going to build a house. I'm not going to build a fourplex. Hey, what if I build up? What if I build a place with 300 units in it on that same property and I don't sell it, I don't flip it, I, I start renting it. That's what, that's what opened the door for Toronto to expand to a million people and to grow and double in size during that time. And that's also because there were different waves of immigrants that came through the city at that time, what helped to make Toronto one of the most successful multicultural cities in the world as it is today and something Torontonians should be very proud of. You know, the way that we have integrated all the different waves of immigrants that have come in and the way they have then given back to the growth of the city and the development of the city makes us a very unique city in the world, especially in this particular time with what's going on across the border, with what's going on in, in Europe, the, the xenophobia and, and, and response to you know, negative response to immigrants all over, we we took the high road somehow. And as Canadians, we should be proud of that. As Torontonians, we should be proud of that. And as Torontonians, we should be aware that this is something very special that we've done and something we really need to defend in these challenging times. Do you think the people who you interviewed would frame it? And I'm talking about the 
the builders themselves, the ones who are mm-hmm. who are still alive and featured in the film, uh, not so much their their children. Do you think the developers themselves would frame it in that way? Uh, you know, one of the quotes, and I wrote this down, and then I looked at a lot of the the info, and this is a, featured in some of the info that was sent to me as well. And I think rightfully, it's it's a great quote by Mendel Tenenbaum. He says, I think I had the best life. And I also think I had the worst life that anyone can have. You know, do, do you think that someone like Mendel would frame it in that same large scale that you would? Or, or for him, is it he? this was his life. This is what he did to support himself, support his family and provide housing to people. And, and this is what he did. Absolutely. I, I, I think the latter. I think that's Mendel would say that he had to make a living. He had to do something. He had to support his family. Um, and that's why he did what he did. And then he would say, and it was through building buildings that I did that. And so that's what I did. Uh, but it's the kind of buildings he built, he built and they built, it's the kind of care they put into the building of those buildings. And it's the way they interacted and with their, their tenants, um, that makes that different. I don't know if you're saying, you know, did they consciously see that this was going to be the effect of what they did, I, I don't believe that, no. But sometimes just doing the right thing comes up with a, you know, a, a good result. And I think in a lot of cases, they just did the right thing. And it gave a unique result because Toronto is a unique city. This, mm. is, as a, uh, you know, this is a unique multicultural city. We are, we are special in the world. And the world acknowledges that. And it's considered one of the you know, top five most livable cities in the world. There's a reason for that, too. There's no question that, that, that these buildings and the way they were built uh, had something to do with that. Yeah, absolutely. And that certainly comes across clearly in the film. So last one for me, and this might be more of a sort of inside baseball type question about the film, but I, I'm really curious about the decision to have only talking heads in it hmm. and only have the the stories of the individuals themselves and in some cases their their children and grandchildren who are telling the story from this first person perspective as opposed to having a narrator guide the viewer through everything that's going on what was that decision like for you i'm always curious as a filmmaker how individuals make those decisions on, on how most effectively to tell the story. Like, is that a decision that was made during the interviews before the interview process, or were you just After. sitting there listening to these stories and saying, Oh my God, these stories are so amazing. Well, yes, yes, I was, yes, yeah. I was listening to the stories saying, Oh my God, they're so amazing. I mean, uh, you know, um, Sam Brown, uh, who told his story, you know, didn't live to see the film come out. He passed away before the film was finished. Mendel Tenenbaum had never told his story before. And wow. it was, it was, it, it, he didn't agree off the top to interview. It was, a, it, it took time uh, for him to make the decision that he wanted to share his story. Um, I think that, uh, that in terms of the narrative, Yes, the stories were so moving and the way they told them were so moving. And it seemed that first person stories was the way to do it. I couldn't see some outside voice, you know, intoning going on about their experience and it having having the same kind of impact as uh, a survivor or their children who had heard the stories, telling those stories. And, and further to that, I mean, I didn't just have... Uh, 
the the actual builders or their their kids talking. We had uh, Graham Stewart, who's an urban planning expert, who 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 talked uh, about what that contribution was in terms of the growth of the city as it was perceived by an educator, by someone who studied the growth and development and sustainability of the city and how important uh, the city sees those houses. And by the way, this is something that the city is now looking at again, saying we need to bring back this model because our cities are sort of dying without it because nobody can afford to live in the cities anymore. And that's not a, uh, that's, that, that doesn't help a city grow or be functional. And also I had, I had Derek Lobo, who was an immigrant who moved into one of those buildings, tell his story and give you a sense of what an immigrant living in those buildings experienced and went through. So there were other, other points of view that did contribute to having a better understanding of the story. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I forgot to mention Graham, who's in it, who is very, very good He's great. Uh, in the film and, yeah. and provides great context to it and overall you know as you said off the top not it's not one story there, there's a lot here and it is very much centered in toronto but it is a, a broader national story when you look at the, the implications as it as it refers to anti-semitism immigration really a, a very important story and ron this is going to have its world premiere tonight as we release this on thursday congratulations and if people want to see the film it, it is the toronto jewish film festival but as we've all experienced over the past year things aren't exactly the same so if people want to watch the film see the film participate in its world premiere how can they do that well they can go to the toronto jewish film festival site and they can buy a ticket they can go to my company site chapmanproductions.ca slash shelter and you can get a ticket through there also. Um, that's, that's, that's the best way to attend at this point. It's, it's virtual. We, we actually had had a uh, plan to, to have an event at Ontario Place. We were going to be at the drive-in with about 400 cars, as well as having a virtual activity because we had thought we'd be open by now. Um, but that wasn't the case, and they closed drive-ins down as well. So it became... Yeah just a virtual event. Definitely check it out. Uh, a wonderful film. Again, it is called Shelter. Ron Chapman, thank you so much for joining me today and congratulations on the film. Thank you so much. And thanks for, thanks for a great interview. Really good questions. Thank you. So there you have it. My discussion with Ron Chapman. I thank him for his time. Again, the film is Shelter and you can be part of its world premiere tonight, June the 3rd. Again, Check the show notes or head over to activehistory.ca. All of the links are there for how you can get your tickets and participate in the virtual premiere this evening. So that will do it for this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you have not yet, please do subscribe to the show wherever it is you get your podcast. Do the likes, the ratings, comments, all that good stuff to help us beat the algorithms. And do head on over, activehistory.ca. Lots of great content over there. Uh, schedule's full, which is great. Uh, in June, we you know, start to get a bit of a slowdown in some years, but a lot of great stuff coming in. So do head on over there and let me know what you want to hear on the show, historyslam at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Graham. As we are back into the full swing of things here as we head into the summer, back on that weekly schedule so we'll be back with another new episode next thursday but until then 
If you're out and you see Enrico Palazzo, please say hi for me. Thanks for listening to the History Slam podcast. Be sure to check out Active History for more features, articles, and be sure to subscribe on iTunes.